Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, we pray for the healing and the brokenness of this world. We pray for all those lives that have been touched by tragedy, whether by accident or by deliberate act. We pray for those who mourn, immerse them in your love, and lead them through the darkness into your arms and light. We pray for those who need comfort, be in both the words they use and all that's left unspoken. Fill each heart with love. We pray for the world that searches. You are a lamp that shines. We pray for the world that is hungry. You are food that sustains. We pray for the world that suffers. You are hope of release. We pray for the world that's broken. You are the one who restores. And we pray for the world of hate. You are love that forgives. We pray for the world that denies. You are truth that endures. To you we bring our thanks and our praise, God of wholeness and God of grace. We ask this through Jesus Christ, whose suffering has brought us life. And we thank you for our brother Forrest this morning as he brings forth the awesome word of God. May you leave here not the same to be a light to a dying world. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Steffi. Amen. Man, it's good to be together. So great to be with you here today. It is a privilege and a joy to gather together and worship as a community and come together. And as you know, we've been going through the book of Galatians this, this fall. We talked three weeks ago about Jesus, the King and Messiah, who comes to reign and invites us to participate in his kingdom rule and redemption of this world. Two weeks ago, we talked about the, there's no such thing as a gospel plus anything because I'm not perfect, but Jesus is. Last week, Mindy opened up to us the, the beauty of the reality that, that in Jesus we are justified and made right with God by faith and not by anything that we do. And in that, we're, we can put aside that self-interest and instead be lifted up in life in Jesus. And so today we come to Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. And I invite you to read along with me as we, as we uh, read it together. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. Let's do it together. <laughs> Starting with the only thing. Ready, go. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish, having started with the Spirit? Are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing what, what you heard? Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see, those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason, those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believe. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, 
Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things that are written in the book of the law. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God of the law, for the one who is righteous will live by faith. But the law does not rest on faith. On the contrary, whoever does the works of the law will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Amen. Well done. I, I thought about doing that, but I thought that's too long. It's, it's going to be too hard. But you're really good at that. <laughs> well done. Can you pray, pray one more time with me? Lord God, Thank you that you're alive and you're at work and you're moving here. Open our eyes and ears to hear all that you'd have for us today. By your spirit we pray in Jesus. Amen. All right, to give us our context here, Paul's continuing to explain to the Galatian churches that there's no gospel plus the law. He keeps trying to get this clear to them because they don't quite understand. So in verses 1 through 5, we see Paul is exasperated, frustrated, disappointed, about what's going on in the Galatian churches. How could it be that they have trusted in and known and begun to follow the Lord Jesus, and now they're going back? They're going back to to thinking they need to do a bunch of stuff to make themselves right with God, that Jesus' love for them is not enough. And Paul is disappointed. How could it be? The word that Paul uses here is about is belief, faith, pistuo, it's not just an understanding in our mind. It's, it's an understanding of the mind, yes, and of the heart, a trusting, a volitional, a volitional belief, a trusting faith. He says, this is what we need. You don't need all this other stuff. This is what we need, a trusting faith in the Lord Jesus. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago. Whenever we try to add anything to God's abundant love, we're wrong. Our part is to trust in the faithfulness of Jesus by believing what we've heard and experienced about Jesus. Then we do good works. We do all kinds of great stuff that looks like the law maybe. But that's an overflow, an expression of gratitude, not something we do to make ourselves right with God or feel okay about ourselves. God has done that in Jesus already. This weekend, after the wonderful homecoming football game, uh, Esther and Bella and River, my children and I, went to the UREC climbing wall for some time, uh, enjoying the climbing wall again. And when we were there, uh, I, I got a picture of this, what was happening here at the Galatian churches. So I was Belaine, Belaine, one of the little girls up, up the wall, and up the, she's up there, and I got her, she did a great job all the way to the top, and I have her totally safe. I got, I got the rope, if she fell, she would fall about one inch, right? There's nowhere, she's not going anywhere. She gets to the top, did a great job, touches the metal, and I say, okay, sit back, time to, time to come down, just walk your feet down the, down the wall. So she kind of starts, but she gets scared then. I have her. I got her. This rope, I'm, I'm heavier. I got her. She's, she's set. She is safe. I am faithful. This rope is faithful. But she's, she's afraid. So she starts trying to hold on with her hands and kind of sitting back and kind of like walking down with her hands and her feet. And it's, it's, it's kind of hard. And she's getting scared and nervous. I'm just, I said, sit back. Just trust me. Sit back in the rope. I just kind of... That's what's happening. God has said to these people, and they know it in Jesus, I got you. 
the faithfulness of Jesus, I got you. You can trust me. Relax into my love and be free in that. And they, they keep trying to say, but I need to kind of keep doing this because I'm, I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to be okay unless I do it. When we, when we start adding conditions onto God's love, we not only get in the way of the goodness of God and the freedom that God has for us as his children with our needless striving, but we also just look really awkward. <laughs> and we make life a lot harder than it needs to be by flailing and striving and trying to make things right. I gotta make it right myself. It's not okay. And God, Jesus is saying, I got you. Relax into the faithfulness of my love. I got you. And if you've ever done rappelling before or done maybe climbing before, one of the most fun things is when you sit back and you bounce your feet off the wall and you swing back in and you bounce your feet off the wall, it's so fun when we can rest and trust in God's abundant love and faithfulness in Jesus. So Paul goes on from there in verses 6 through 9 to describe how, God, how God's abundant love revealed in Jesus was prefigured in the Old Testament relationship between law and belief. Echoing Romans 4, or maybe Romans 4 echoes Galatians, probably New Testament scholars, he here lifts up Abraham as the model of the one who was made right with God because he believed God, trusting in God's promise that God would make him into a great nation. So God's promise didn't end there with Abraham, but extended to all the world, saying, all the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. The Gentiles here is panta ta ethne, all the Gentiles, all the nations, ethne, all the nations will be blessed through you. Paul's point is fascinating. It's worth listening to again. It's verse 8 and 9. Well, verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. So get Paul's logic here. It's like this. So number one. Right at the beginning of God's plan to redeem this broken and sinful world, God told Abraham that all nations, the non-Jewish, the others, the non-law-abiding people, will be blessed in and through him. All right? Number two, if the Gentiles are going to be included in that promise, they clearly are not going to do so by obeying the law because they don't have the law. Number three, so from the very start, the means to accessing the blessing of Abraham is not the obedience of the law, but trusting faith. What we see here is that the gospel of Jesus is not an afterthought, but was part of God's intent from the beginning. If you're ever tempted to think that the God, that God does not interact with his people by grace in the Old Testament, or even that the God of the Old Testament is of different character than the God of the New Testament we see in Jesus, maybe like this image, if you're ever tempted to think that God's like this, Two-faced, the God of the Old Testament is ready to, out to get us, lurking behind every corner, waiting for you to mess up and strike you down and curse you. But the God of the New Testament, oh, that's the happy God of Jesus. That's the one I like. There are many places you can look to refute that image of God. But this is one. You can get rid of that, Isaac. I don't want to see that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the one God 
who has been revealed in Jesus is the same God extending his love and grace in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Even though it becomes more clear in the New Testament, there's no two-faced God in the Bible. Track with me. There's no two-faced God in the Bible. Though we as creatures can't understand all of God's ways, we know God's face matches exactly how he has shown us himself in Jesus Christ. This is the image of the unseen God that God has shown us. When we don't understand, we say, I don't understand, but I know what God's like because I see it in Jesus. And so, verses 6 through 9 show us, looking back all the way to Abraham, God's unmerited love marks his interaction with his people all the way through as they receive that love by faith. This section also tells us something more about God's loving, redemptive plan for the whole world. In the beginning of Genesis, when Adam and Eve fall into sin, they not only fracture their relationship with God, but also with each other and creation and them, even themselves. But you see with each other in Adam and Eve's finger pointing, in, in Cain killing Abel, people, human relationships are shattered as well. Here we see that part of God's redemptive plan is to bring the scattered and alienated peoples back to himself, but also back together as one people. God extends his blessing to all the nations, not just a chosen few, and then brings that, the, all those nations into one new people, the people of God. This is obviously very fitting to talk about in America today. God's love is not just for me, not just for people with my story, my tribe, my racial ethnic background, my socioeconomic group, my country. God's love is for all people, for all nations, pantata ethne, and in him, in Jesus, the Messiah, he's calling together a people who will, who will be his kingdom people. Diversity efforts, at their very best, reflect this reality. God is at work drawing together people from all nations to be his chosen people. And then as his chosen people, to share that blessing with the world. This is kind of like mel some melty beads. You guys know melty beads? My daughters like melty beads a lot. We see melty beads, they're just kind of scattered, colored. They're cool, but they're just everywhere. They make a mess and they get stuck in the carpet and the couch and your shoe and the vacuum cleaner and sometimes in your ear or nose if you're a small child. So these are, can be, but they're, they're okay. But what God's doing is seeing all these different colors and pieces and bringing them together with purpose and love. And that's what my daughter Bella did yesterday. And she made this. She put them together and it becomes something special. Become something beautiful, if you can't tell it's a dolphin. Porpoise, maybe. <laughs> maybe I have dad eyes. I see, it looks really beautiful to me. This is what God is doing in drawing a people to himself from all nations by his love. And then finally, in a flurry of Hebrew Bible references in verses 10 through 14, again, revealing the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, I think there are seven or eight Old Testament references, quotes right here. Paul explains how God's love triumphs over human sin. In short, this happens through the person and work of Jesus in our place and on our behalf. Paul makes it clear that no one can be right with God through the law. No one. We deserve a curse because of our condemnation under the law. But Jesus becomes our curse for us, taking upon our shoulders the curse of our rebellion. 
See, we were deserving that curse not simply because God made some arbitrary rule, but because God, in his very goodness, cannot tolerate evil. It's kind of like this. In a dark room, when the light shines, the light is going to drive away darkness. That's the character of that light. You can't stop it. The light's not choosing to, to oppose darkness. The light is opposed to darkness. God is opposed to, to evil. So the evil in us that we have, it's meriting of a curse. It's meriting of God's wrath because, because it's opposed to who God is. God is loving goodness. He will not stand evil and cannot. But because he's loving, as we see in this, he comes and takes our curse on himself. Expressing to us his incomprehensible love in Jesus, taking up our sin and darkness, carrying it to the cross, where God's goodness and light stand opposed to sin and darkness. So Jesus, as God and man together, stands in our place, on our behalf, takes that curse, so that in him the blessing of Abraham would come to us. A diverse people who are bound together in Jesus by his unmerited love. Two quick things to note about Jesus taking that curse. First is, there are lots of models and ways that theologians and the New Testament talk about this. So let's not get too narrow and think there's only one way to talk about it. Jesus did something amazing. There's a mystery in it. Somehow, he becomes our savior and substitute, redeeming us from our sin and defeating evil. And second, it's really important to recognize this. Although God condemns that evil and sin in Jesus, there is not a break in the Trinity at the day of the cross. The triune, loving communion of God does not break apart at that day. But God, the Father, lovingly holds his Son as he condemns sin and evil forever. How does this all apply to something like the horrific Roseburg sh shooting? What do we know? Well, we know this. We know that God loves every person involved, including that shooter, because God has a love for all nations. We know that God hates evil and absolutely condemns it. It's a, something he will not stand for and stands totally opposed to, always, because it's who God is. We know that God knows suffering from the inside. He's taken that curse and suffering on himself. He knows what it's like to suffer and die and actually did that so that evil would be no more. And finally, we know in Jesus' resurrected life that one day this King and Messiah will come and there will be no more evil, no more sin, no more darkness, no more anything like this anymore. He will end it once and for all. This is what we know. Because the God of love has come to us in Jesus, taken our curse and redeemed us from it so that all people could be drawn to him. Please, team, you come on up. God loves you. God loves you. He's shown it to us in Jesus. He's shown it to us in his word and promise in, to Abraham. He's shown it to us emphatically in Jesus, the king who has lived and died for us. But he not only loves you, he loves all people. And so we worship him and live in him because of his love for us, the living God who comes to us in Jesus. Let's stand and continue to worship him as we finish together.